disciples, and they tried to, they tried to um, expel a demon from a boy, and they couldn't. And they came back going, God, what, Jesus, why can't we do these things? You told us we can do it. And he explains to them, he says, you don't have enough faith. He says, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. And so I want us to just pause on that and think about that as we, we go through and talk about some of these things today. So if my trusted clicker works... Yes. All right. So just over two and a half weeks ago, um, I took a trip of people to Bangladesh and Nepal. There were nine, nine of us all together uh, from all over the country, and we had one young lady from the UK come with us. We split, we, we went all different, different ways, but we ended up in Singapore together, and then we arrived in Dhaka together. The, the young lady from the UK had already arrived the day before us, and when we... Uh, so the story started, I had to get up at 3 a.m. on the Wednesday morning to pick up two people from Tauranga, drive to Auckland, because we didn't trust Air New Zealand to fly us with all the lovely cancellations and the weather so that we could make our connecting flight. We got to Auckland Airport at check-in, and the first thing the lady says is, where's your COVID, um, your COVID test so you can get into the country? We went, no, we don't need COVID tests. And so there was a bit of a hiccup and a delay, but we got through it. Then we were delayed an hour and a half getting on the plane. Everything was fine, arrived in Singapore. Then we get to Bangladesh, and I've said to the team, right, the best way to do this is to split up, don't act as though we know each other, and we're not a group of people. We did what we were meant to do, and we got to the, one of our team members got to the counter, and the man standing there saw a letter with our logo letterhead on it and took exception to this letter. Next thing... Um, the head of the immigration area in that place at the airport um, turned around and said, everybody that is here with international needs, come with me. And none of us being any the wiser thought, what's going on? He then grouped us all together and said, don't worry, don't worry, come with me, come with me. And we thought, oh, we're getting special preferential treatment here. Well, we did. <laughs> he marched us up the room took all of our passports and said, you wait here. <laughs> and we waited, and we waited. Next thing he said, you're not getting into my country. I'm not letting you in. And uh, we thought, uh, so I'll elaborate a little bit here. Please, Sharon, <laughs> forgive me if I don't say everything quite correctly. But I've got to tell the story, right? I've got to build it up. So we were detained. If anybody knows what that means, we were basically denied entry into Bangladesh. There was eight of us. and. We were told to sit in this place. Now, if anybody's been to Dhaka Airport, I know John has, it's not exactly the cleanest airport and it's not exactly the friendliest airport. And um, the people there, whilst, you know, on the face of it were smiley and happy and friendly, were not very um, warm towards us. So we thought, what is going on here, God? You know, we, we've, we've been preparing for this trip for months. We've got people all around New Zealand praying for us. We've got, we, we've got resources. We, 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 we're here for a purpose and a reason. Um, and why on earth are we now being told we can't enter? The person took exception and thought, he said, um, we're not letting you in because we believe that you're missionaries, which... Actually, we weren't missionaries. We were there on what I call a discovery tour. And part of the discovery tour is actually looking at things of what God is actually doing and discovering for yourself what's God doing in this place where you've visited. 
what is God? What, what can you discover about the people, the culture, and, and how God is moving? Uh, what can you discover about what God is doing um, in yourself? And what, do you, what can you draw out of this experience? And then what can you discover and share with people when you get back home as well? And so he took exception to us. Now, Sean being Sean wasn't having a bar of this, um, went and, and, and said, look, I'm sorry, but um, what's going on? He wouldn't give us answers. I said, well, we've got some elderly citizens. Knowing the culture of Bangladesh, um, they do respect their elders, and it's very much a, 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 um, a, a culture whereby you, you do actually acknowledge your, your elders. And so we said, we've got elderly citizens. We need their suitcases because they've got medication, which some of them did. We didn't lie here. Um, and we thought, and he said, well, hang on. What, why do you need your suitcases? Because in my head, I'm going, I'm not leaving my suitcase on the other side for somebody else to just pick up and take. Well, we have no idea where we are, and who knows what would have happened. So next thing, they, they brought our suitcases in for us. And he said, right, you can sit here. And I went, well, that's not very comfortable. Where can we go? Um, so we went for a walk. He said, well, you go and try the lounges upstairs. But if you know airport lounges, um, and we have had the privilege of, of sitting in a couple, um, he, they, they won't let you in unless you've got a boarding pass. We don't have a boarding pass because we arrived. We've got an arrival pass. But we found this little lounge, which was no bigger than probably that corner area. And you can see some of the photos that's uh, on the left and on, on your left that um, was just this quaint little lounge that, you know, there was no one inside it, that we were just very blessed to be able to sit there and, and just chill. And through that process, we're going, all right, maybe God's got something on us. And in my head, and I think Sharon could see the stress levels. I don't know if you want to talk about that, Sharon. <laughs> um, I'm going, what on earth do we do here? I've got eight people. One's already in the country, and I've got eight of us going, how do we get inside? We, we're here for a week. We've got a connecting flight from here to Nepal, and that's in like six hours' time or something. Or if it's, there's another one, we have to change things around. We've got time zone differences. God, and I'm spinning, basically. But I think I was, I was holding face. <laughs> I wasn't looking like I was that bad. But my head was spinning, and I'm going, God, what's happening? And we had a few of the others going, don't worry, have faith, have faith. <laughs> Have faith. I'm like, yeah, I've got faith, but hey, what's happening here? Um, so anyway, we were sitting there thinking, and no one was talking to us. Everybody was just exhausted. We'd been traveling already since uh, it would probably be close to 32 hours. We'd been awake traveling. So yeah, we were absolutely shattered, and um, there was the food wasn't amazing or great, but this little place had a coffee machine. Everybody, and it was good. It was the best coffee in the airport <laughs> for a little tiny thing. It had very stale um, cakes, but hey, it was fine. But you know, we, we managed to, to just relax. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't put in the other photos of, of us sleeping on the floor there or trying to get some sleep. But you know, for us, it, was, it felt as though God's covering was just like a blanket covering over us, just going, don't worry, I'm working through this. Meanwhile, our team inside Bangladesh, so our office and our director and his, his staff uh, are stressing out big time going, they've been denied entry, what are we going to do? Not only have we got a, a nine-day program full of activities, and believe me, it was, it was chock-a-block full from morning till, till late at night, but um, it would have been bad news for them saying, 
we're not allowing these people in based on our, our organization and our reputation, and they rely on people to come and visit, and they, they invite people to visit all the time. So they, this, they, they were very worried, and this is now about 2 a.m. in the morning. So they went off to their office um, in Dhaka, and they started writing letters to the um, immigration officials, and they were told by this person who was exceptionally rude that, good luck, it, you, these guys have been deported tomorrow, and it will take three or four days for you to actually get any response or any answers uh, from our immigration officials. So they're writing letters, they, they gather their team, they're praying, and we're all in the room here sending messages across the globe for people to pray. So I think we had prayer warriors from the bottom of the South Island all the way through to the top of the North Island. We had people in Canada praying in the States across the globe because we're well connected, I think. And then we were praying and going, all right, God, you need to move. What's going on here? Um, next morning, we're not getting any responses, any answers. There's a change in the guard. So now the night shift people have gone home and the day shift people have turned up. And the day shift manager was even grumpier than the night shift guy. He was pretty, pretty, pretty rude, actually. Didn't speak. I think his, the, the language barrier got him a little bit. His English wasn't great, um, but we, we tried. And so I didn't want to annoy him too much. I, as the leader of the group, I, had to, I went down and said, look, can you give us some answers? And he said, nope, here's your passports. Take the passports. He marched me back down to the counter, and he gave us a full refund of all of our money. And I'm thinking, oh, this isn't good. And in his hand, he had a whole stack of uh, individual papers, which I could read in English was um, visa denial and um, deportation. So that was on the, on, the letter, on the paperwork that he'd already completed for us. It's now 7.30 in the morning, and they are still working through the process. And I get a, a phone call from, from Mac, who's our director in Bangladesh, and says, we're working through something, Sean. Um, God spoke to me. And I went, oh, great. God spoke to you. Well, he's not speaking to us. I said, what did he say, Mac? He, says, he said, he gave me a name of a friend. And my friend knows the secretary of the Home Affairs Office Minister. Now, in Bangladesh, you've got the president, or president, prime minister, president. Next in charge is the Home Affairs Office. It's just the minister of the Home Affairs. And he said, my friend was very angry with me because I didn't ring them at 2 o'clock in the morning <laughs> to sort this out, but it's now 7.30, and he said that they're going to the Home Affairs Minister's office now to talk to them. And we thought, what, who, who is this? What's going on here? Anyway, they, he said, this guy's very busy, like second in charge in the country of a population of 100-and-something million people. So exceptionally busy person, not a Christian, and... Probably uh, hardline. Not, I would say hardline Muslim, but you know, would would be Muslim. Anyway, they go to this person's house, and he threw his toys out the cot. If I could be polite, and rings up the airport immigration man, the guy in charge, right there and then, and strips. <laughs> pieces off his back, <laughs> basically telling him, these are my special guests from New Zealand. You give them a visa right now and let them into my country. <laughs> this guy, I've never seen a, a Bangladeshi's face so pale <laughs> in my life. <laughs> he, the, his jaw was on the ground and he's like, how, how did you speak to this person, like even to get him to ring us? at that time of the morning when nothing opens really till 10 o'clock in the morning, um, 
not only do we, does, does he tell us to let you in the country, but you know, you've got the Home Affairs Minister telling me to do my job and to do this. Um, but God, <laughs> we, we just believe that, you know, somewhere God intervened. He had to have. No, no one else. There was no other relationship, no other connection other than a connection that Mac knew of and just made a phone call. We then went downstairs. I was, <laughs> I was trying my best not to grin from face to face. <laughs> we was, there was lining up there. The guy was livid. I think, uh, how was his expression, Sharon? <laughs> Yeah, poker face. He, he was not happy. He was pretty upset at the fact. We got to the counter. One of the guys uh, was, was all smiles and he was happy. He was just, I think he was just laughing going, I told you guys not to mess with him. <laughs> and as we got our visa, he was just like, go, get out kind of attitude. And all I wanted to say to, to him is, now you've seen my Jesus at work. Um, because, you know, they're pretty hard-lined over there. I've never met a cultural, or, or a people group that are just completely shut off. And the vision I had throughout all of Bangladesh was um, the same as the early Israelites when Moses led them out of Egypt. You know, they were hardened. There was a, there was a callous over their hearts and over their minds. And that's the same vision I had, unfortunately, for that generation in that country and, and probably for multiple generations, uh, multiple countries around the world, that how do you reach these people? And that was a question I, sh I still, I struggled with for, for the entire time is how do you reach these people for the gospel? And I don't actually know you can. I, I think they're so, they're so hardened that this generation has to move on and the next generation needs to be reached. And that's exactly what's happening is this next generation is being reached. And we're seeing the fruits of that um, throughout. So anyway, that's, our, that's some of the team members there. That's the group from New Zealand. Uh, Claire, who's from the UK, is not, not in that one. Okay, here we go. Oh, no, Nigel, we're not clicking. You're going to have to be my clicker. I'm sorry. Anyway, that was the beginning of our, of our nine-day conquest in Bangladesh. Oh, we're not working. Oh, there we go. Um, so that's the, the little van, the first night. Sorry, do you need that one? <laughs> um, and for those that have been, not been to Bangladesh, it's, yeah, the traffic is absolutely chaotic. You, you, you cannot move an inch without spending three hours in a van. Next slide, please, sir. Um, so the first day when we arrived, so basically we were delayed. Then we, we had a whole day which was completely wiped off. We were all exhausted and day one begins at a 7.30 a.m. pickup off to what we, um, is our girls' village called Savar. Now, Savar has 205 young women. Now, most of these girls either come from exceptionally poor backgrounds, they're refugees or they don't have families at all, and uh, they, they live on site, they get education, a meal, healthcare, all of those kind of things, and they did an amazing uh, welcome for us. Next one, please, sir. And these are just some photos which I thought I'd share of the beautiful children that we, we got to, to engage with and got to meet on our first day. So from one experience where we were um, yet detained and living on adrenaline and then to another completely new experience to go, wow, what, what's happening here? And, you know, these kids just completely loved on us. Um, I'm going to get Sharon to share about Savar because I know Savar has a special place in her heart as well. Sorry, Sharon, I'm throwing you into the deep end. Hi, everyone. 
Um, Savar, I've been to Savar before, so this is my second trip to Savar. What's really special about this place this time is the fact that this is where our sponsor child that City Church Kids sponsors lives. And I got a chance to meet her. I gave her a little necklace. I sat with her while she watched a little video that the kids had put together praying for her. So it was played in front of all the girls and um, she got to sit on a little chair up the front and get to watch it. And I know that she felt really special. So there she is there. She's very, very shy. She doesn't have any English. I think in four years' time when she's older and has got that English, she's going to be like those older girls where you just can't keep them quiet. So we had lots of fun in Savar. We did face painting. We did lantern making. I got to do a little talk about how unique you are and how God makes us all different and that we may all have different gifts and talents. But on the inside, when we have Jesus, we have something that's in common and how God can use all our gifts and our talents for his kingdom and to help one another. So it was it was exceptionally lovely time. One of the things I re that really spoke to me was honour. They know how to honour you. They looked so much, so forward to our visits and all the places we went, and they honour you. They honour you with the way that they welcome you. They had signs. They had uh, demonstrations. They had cultural programs. They had gifts, all kinds of stuff. And it was just honour, 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 honour. And these people, they're poor, yet their hearts are not poor. They're rich, rich in love, rich in gratitude, and rich in honour. And so, yes, um, Savar is special, and this is the free school um, that's around the corner, and I'll let Sean continue on talking about that. Thanks, Sharon. Um, yeah, that, that, that's very, very true what Sharon says. You know, they ex I've never seen poverty like you've seen poverty there. You know, we talk about poverty in New Zealand. We don't know what poverty is. But they are so wealthy in their hearts um, and, and in respecting and honouring um, of people. And especially, you know, as a guest, we, we, were, we were just lavished with love. And you think, you know, you've got nothing. How can you just give? And they go, because we, we want to honour you. Um, so behind our, our, the school, I say ours, but you know, behind the school where the kids live, there's also a free school so, um, and a medical centre. And this is a, a service to the community um, in Savar. So Savar is a, is, is a massive area outside Bangladesh known for its textile factories. And so there's a lot of textile workers out there, but a lot of the women don't get treated, don't get treated well at all. And so um, this, this is a free school for, for some of the slum areas, for some of the kids, um, and there's a, a training centre for the women, as well as a free medical centre as well. So they can, they can see the doctor there. Um, they have a couple of doctors and nurses coming in three, four times a week, providing a free service uh, to them. And this is all supported through, through the generosity of New Zealanders uh, throughout the country. So next slide, Nigel. Up. And then that's the that's kind of the new vision of the the school which they're going to be um, building. So at the the goal is to have 500 young ladies um, there because you know these poor girls they don't the culture in Bangladesh is still steeped in marrying your kids off young, um, even though it's not legal. They still try and marry some of the kids, and I think the youngest one we saw was about 12 um, being married. And I think you know it's in order to try and protect these young children as well. We, um, they, they do quite a lot, yeah. So the next day we ended up driving um, 
for hours and hours and hours south towards uh, the, the Indian border and towards the Bay, Bay of Bengal uh, to a boys' village where um, there's about 200 young, young men. Um, that is another home for, for young men. So we've got a girls' one and a boys' one, but miles apart. And there we engaged in a range of different cultural activities. I think it was lots of fun. We taught them how to make bottle cars. We, uh, we ended up having a game of cricket, which um, they thrashed us in because, you know, this was their backyard and <laughs> there was a few un unruly calls made. Um, but it was really special seeing, you know, and everything is immersed in Christian culture and Christian identity. These kids come from a, mainly Muslim backgrounds, a few Hindus, um, or animist, or animate, like they idol worship and animal worship and all that as well. But coming into these particular environments, they just get steeped in the love of Jesus. They don't get evangelized to, they just get taught. And a lot of them have to make that decision themselves. And they, they, they always ask that question, why? And because if you don't make that decision yourself, you, you can't just be. You're not, you're not born into it. You've got to decide. Jesus asks you to make a call and make a decision. And I think that is so important, even in our culture and our context. When we're sharing the gospel with people, we have to let them make a decision to follow Jesus. We can't make that for them, but we have to lead them to say, look, you have to make the decision, um, not us. Um, so I think it was really cool that they actually teach them that um, because you can't just, you, you don't just inherit it. You've got to actually decide it yourself. Uh, sorry, next. Um, part of the program we also operate is a, a drop-in center. So the in, in Dhaka itself, this is a free um, center for, for street children as well as children that are in bonded labor. There's about 80 children that come uh, that are in bonded labor. So slavery is actually illegal in Bangladesh, but children still are enslaved. And so every day they come for a hot meal, they get an education, and um, they just get loved on. They get gifts, they get clothing, they get um, just things that they need in order to survive day to day. And part of the um, what we did is we decided to, to do an oral hygiene um, activity and exercise with these kids because oral hygiene is pretty much non-existent in their country. And we thought, you know, we, we, would, um, we thought we'd raise a bit of money to buy toothbrushes and toothpaste and distribute these out to these children. So that's uh, some of them there. And the, the wonderful demonstration we used was a coconut. So that was all we had to show them how to brush your teeth uh, by using a coconut and, and using a toothbrush around the coconut and what to do with it all and, and a little bit of toothpaste. But um, the drop-in centre is actually quite close to my heart. So I don't know if many of you remember that um, two and a bit years ago I did a silly thing and ran an ultramarathon. Um, and raised money for, for the drop-in centre. So that was raising money for this particular centre for street kids and kids in bonded labour. And this year I'm doing something very similar. I decided to, I'm going to run the Rotorua Marathon uh, in May and I'm going to do it as a fundraiser for the drop-in centre again because, you know, when I first went to Bangladesh, this is what broke my heart um, and what God really called me to do this work is because I saw children, my, my own children's age, working in a sweatshop, working, doing things that, and they were not being children. And so when it broke my heart, I said, I want to do something about this and help these kids out. And it's grown, it's grown and grown and grown. And if we have another slide, it's grown to um, hundreds of kids now coming to this particular school and to the center. Um, it was amazing just, you know, engaging with them, teaching them a few things about New Zealand, them teaching us, um, lots of fun. And when you see children, 
You know, the Bible is so cool when you read it and how Jesus describes the little hearts of kids. You know, they don't hold any angst against you. They don't have these things. Whereas the adults, goodness gracious me, did we get some experiences from them <laughs> outside of the center, of course. Um, so these are some of the kids. Now, some incredible testimonies and stories. So these, these ones are the slave, I hate using that word, but technically slave kids. There was one young girl, I don't know, this, no, I don't think she's on this photo. You try the next photo, Nigel. Um, no, sorry, she's not. But anyway, she's, we, she's, um, doesn't know how to speak. She, from a very young age, there's nothing wrong with her physically. They've had every test under the sun, but because when she was younger, they, they did something to her that she actually didn't develop her vocal cords, and so she can't speak. And, you know, we, we've been, we, we were praying for her, but through intervention by one of our supporters in Canada, she now gets the professional help in order for her to actually start to use her, her voice box and her vocals. And so that intervention is, is starting to, to happen and to work now as well. Um, so, you know, it's not just provide something nice and free. It's actually now looking after the future well-being of a lot of these children. The next, th uh, so the centre's now growing. Oh, sorry, go back one more slide, Nigel. Um, so the centre's now grown to a, a new centre, which is by the, the central railway station in Dhaka. Um, here there are a lot of street children, um, and there's, there's quite a few boys. And so they've opened up a centre, starting with the young boys first, and um, there's about 20 or 30 of these boys. Now, if you were walking down the straight by, next to these kids, you would want to hold on to everything you have, and you would not engage with them because they will beat you up, they will steal everything from you. But at the centre, these kids were just kids. They were fantastic. They were lots of fun. They were just teenage boys, um, just being teenage boys. But, you know, they live a really, really hard life. And so we've provided a centre for them where they do not stay overnight. Um, the reason being is you think, well, okay, why don't you provide? They don't want to stay. A lot of them have already been moved and placed into centres and into homes that the government provides, but they run away because they want freedom. And so, you know, they, this centre just gives them a hot meal, gives them an education, a safe place where they can just come and hang out. Um, they, at times during monsoon, they can sleep, but only for one or two nights, but they, it's not a permanent place for them. Those that would like something more permanent and they make that decision, they will then go to the boys' school or to another school that we have available for them. But it was lots of fun, and so we managed to, um, you know, just have have a bit of a have a bit of fun with these guys. Um, then they went and showed us where they hang out. And so the next slide, Nigel. So some of them, you can see, they they'll either sleep in old cabooses. Um, they get heavily beaten and attacked by the police because they don't like them and also others as well. But, you know, when they, when they run around that place, they own it. And it's, it was pretty incredible seeing them running around doing their thing. Um, but, you know, they're now being taught and they, they, they're inquiring. They're asking, who's this, guy, who's this Jesus guy that you guys keep telling us about? And our, our church worker that, that works or community worker that's in there is really reaching out to these, these lost, which is so cool to see. Um, then the highlight of my, my experience was that this is our new school up in the Noga region. It does look flash, and it is flash. So when I first started with International Needs, um, this was my very first project. It was one that um, sort of started off the ground, but then nothing happened. And I made a vow to finish it 
Um, and we did. It was, uh, it was finished and it was opened um, and we had the grand ceremony when we were over there. And so this was um, supported 50-50 between New Zealand and the Canadians. And so this school has close to 500 students from the slum areas of this particular region um, and it has accommodation facilities for kids that they rescue from bonded labour, those kids that, have, uh, that are orphans effectively, to try and bring them up to, to the school here as well. And so, yeah, it was a great time of celebration. Oh, we went one too fast. Um, a great opportunity for celebration. And this is where, you know, I, I shared a message on, on faith. And I thought that's what I'll, I'll share a little bit with you guys this morning because I felt it was quite fitting um, here. And I talked about the history of this particular building and the vision that um, Bangladesh had for this. And, and I likened it to the vision that we've got here for Omokoroa. You know, five or so years ago, um, Pastor Alan and Eleanor had a vision to have one church in five locations, and this is one of the locations. Um, and, you know, the faith that they, they needed to place in God to say, we want this to work out, and not just for their own being, but, you know, we believe that, that Omokoro needed a, a, a church. We have a couple of churches here, but there's 4,500 people and only two churches. We need to grow. We need, we, need, we need God to work through this place. And so, you know, we, for those that remember, we were in the tiny shacks there now, but it was over here. And it had um, a nice hole in the roof where Nick and I used to laugh and go, that was where the Holy Spirit came through. <laughs> it allowed us to, to worship. But it was, it was humble beginnings, right? Is that how we can, we can put it? And now we're in this beautiful building here, and, you know, we're still every day stepping out in faith that God has a plan and a purpose for here. All right, we've got another Holy Spirit hole. <laughs> a little bit more light needs to come through that. But, you know, sometimes we just don't know what God is doing or who he's going to be working through. We've seen so much constant, we've seen change happen here in Omokoro, and you just don't know. God's transient he moves people in places and he puts the pieces where he needs to put them and we don't always know what he's doing and we got to rely and we got to have faith and trust him just like that moment at the airport my faith levels just went up another notch and I think God is still saying to me Sean your faith levels aren't there yet I'm taking you up another notch but you know we need to hold on to faith we need to have faith in God that whilst we may not always see the things straight away that's in front of us our faith should always remain steadfast in him. So out of Matthew 20 verse, um, or 17, verse 20, the words of Jesus to his disciples, he replies to them, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. These words of Jesus serve as a reminder of the power of God the power of faith and its potential to move mountains. We're not talking about physical mountains here. We're talking about spiritual mountains. We're talking about principalities. And what I particularly like about this verse and what Jesus is saying is that he's referring to a mustard seed, which was used as a common symbol back in the day, back in those days, um, back in Jesus' time, because it was known for its small size but it's also for its ability to grow into a very large plant. Okay? And in the same way, our faith, even the smallest amount of faith, has the potential to accomplish great things. And I love that about the faith of, of children, is that you know, it's just 
simple blind faith and doesn't need to be large. It doesn't need to be shouted from the rooftops, but it's just so simple and so small. However, you know, in this passage, Jesus also mentions that his disciples, they lacked faith and it prevented them from performing those miracles. And it serves us as a warning and it serves a warning to us that even when we have faith, you know, we, we have faith and I'm not denying that, it can become weak and it can become diminished if we allow doubt and fears to take root in our hearts. And reminding myself of that experience in the airport going, was my faith, was it diminishing? Was it lacking? Whereas others in the group, I believe it was growing and they had stronger faith. But we need to work on that. So we need to cultivate a strong and unwavering faith, just like a mustard seed, as Jesus says. And the way we do that, and my encouragement for us this morning, is we need to firstly keep our focus on Jesus and draw strength from his love and his grace. Secondly, we must regularly feed our faith by reading the Bible, by praying and participating in the life of the church. I'm not saying do what I did and um, go and put yourself in a vulnerable position where Jesus will increase your faith because it's not fun. <laughs> but, you know, they can also increase it. Um, but, you know, participating in the life of church by reading and just continually feeding yourself with what the Word says. Thirdly, we must have a humble and teachable spirit, open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and be willing to grow in our understanding of God and of His ways. Because I think it's only through humbling yourself and allowing God to teach us, then will we have that light bulb moment and go, aha, thank you, Lord. But there's too many of us that don't want to be taught. We sort of shut it off and go, oh, I know it all. That's probably when you do need to humble yourself, when you do use those comments. So let us strive to have faith that is like a mustard seed, full of potential to move mountains and to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. Also to remember to keep our focus on Jesus and to nurture and grow our faith through prayer and through obedience. And so this journey um, for the last few weeks was definitely a faith journey for, for me. Um, not only was it the first time I'd led a group of, of nine to probably two very extreme countries that are hostile towards Christians. Um, Christianity only makes up 3% of the population of Bangladesh, maybe a bit more than that, I think, John. And then about, look, the statistics say 1.9% in Nepal, but it's probably close to the 3% if you take the other statistics. So a very small amount of, of Christians in, in this country, they take a look at you and they they, they, they profile me. Ash knows what I'm talking about. They profile me and they go, yeah, you're an American Christian. I'm like, oh, okay, don't profile me. <laughs> but, um, you know, you're already labeled. So it's, it's very hostile and you've got you've to walk with faith every day. And so I think that was a really good encouragement. Um, after Bangladesh, we, we ended up going to Nepal. And those that have never been there, it's, it's an amazing country that is a lot warmer than Bangladesh, uh, not climate-wise, but people warmer, <laughs> they, they're a little bit more welcoming. Uh, but it is very steeped in culture and rituals and some, some, if I can use the word, dark spirituality. There's, there's a lot going on in that place um, and they really, really need the gospel. Um, there were a few moments, in, and look, I, I don't like talking about these kind of things, but during the nights there was uh, lots of noises outside, lots of screamings and lots of... Um, 
I don't know, some of the team called it manifestations. I don't know what it was. But I was at the point where I was exhausted. And it was about midnight. I was shattered. And all I heard was screaming. So I went to the window. <laughs> I shouted. I said, in the name of Jesus, just shut up. <laughs> and there was silence. There was no noise until about 5 a.m. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I don't, I'm not saying what it was, but it was actually, it was, and everyone was, really, that happened? I said, I was just, I was annoyed, I was peeved, <laughs> I just yelled, and it was quiet, so I thought, hmm, maybe it was something, who knows, but anyway, I got some sleep that night. <laughs> but um, in Nepal, we, there's, a, there's a wonderful center, which is on the left, so we man I managed to see, that was the second project that was complete, which was the um, Lydia Vocational Training Center. So this center brings uh, 44 young women every year into um, five months of training per, per segment. And they are taught um, various vocational skills to give them an opportunity either to set up their own business or um, you know, to find employment, but to then go look after their children and their family in a better way as well. And Sharon and the team did an amazing um, women's only sort of activity. The guys were very happy to sit back and relax and not do anything. So. We were quite happy with that. Uh, next slide, Nige. And sorry, Sharon. <laughs> the highlights of the highlight of my trip was also third highlight was the food. So I I love my food and um, I do. I knew Sharon was going to be sitting here, so I thought I'd throw that in there. But um, that's Sharon eating chicken um, gizzard and chicken guts. It was um, yeah. So it wasn't too bad, it was chewy, yeah. But anyway, the, the, for me, the highlight of, of was, I, I love food and you know, I've, I'm a little bit curried out, so I'm not having curry for a few weeks, but anyway, uh, every, everywhere we ate was absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, and that was some more of the team. Then we, we tracked up, so a week ago, um, last, last Saturday, we tracked up into the mountains and um, we had to jump on the back of that four-wheel drive and go up a big dusty dirt track um, up into the hills. And there we saw, we, we ended up going to a, a small remote church up into this village. Um, that was my bed for the night, bag and sleeping bag, and that was the church. And so, yeah, it was um, absolutely gorgeous. It was, you couldn't see anything, it was dusty, and you just see mountains around you. Um, and the pastor and his family were exceptionally hospitable to us you know we I didn't feel unsafe at all even though we're a small church in a predominantly Hindu village um, but you know they were very warm they were very welcoming um, for all of us here as well and, uh, and this is some of the projects so through um, some of the initiatives the, we, we went and saw some projects which were through livelihood so one was a chicken farm one was some goats, uh, that's actually um, um, spring onions growing. They call it garlic, but it's spring onions. Crazy people don't know their food from their food. Um, and the other, next slide, this is uh, something that City Church invested into. So I thought we'd, um, there's this, there will be some other videos that we, we put together, but City Church and you guys here and also in town, you invested into these polytunnels. And so uh, they constructed eight, 12, I can't. 10. So 10 of these uh, big constructions, uh, polytunnels to, to help grow food in this particular rural village. And so uh, the first lot, which they, they did a number of years ago, were made out of bamboo and some sheets. They weren't very good. They didn't hold up in the weather. And so through City Church's investment, they were able to construct 10 new ones made out of um, steel. 
and these are now going through, through, through different households all around the place um, to help these families to grow their own food. They can sell it at the market um, and it's giving them an income source so that they can send their kids to school and they can actually now invest into this village uh, and into the rest of the community as well. And so this, this particular village is now being dubbed um, their, their sort of their, 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 their model village which the team are now moving to different areas. And so they're wanting further, obviously, we're going to be looking further investments into this, but I thought, you know, fantastic investment from City Church. So thank you very much uh, on behalf of International Needs for, for doing that uh, for these people as well. Uh, and then late up into the night, Nepalis know how to party. Um, so the pastor's kids and a whole bunch of children in the village decided it's party time. They put on the boom box and they danced and they danced and they wouldn't let us rest <laughs> and they danced until it was quite late and we're like, we're hungry, we're tired, we want to eat and go to bed. <laughs> and I think they got the message pretty clear, so um, they, they went away. And the only thing we had, um, we needed to be afraid of in the evening was the, the monkeys, um, which I think there was only one that was spotted, but other than that, we were actually pretty good. <laughs> So, yeah, but it was lots of fun. Uh, the next morning, we blessed the family by cooking dinner, uh, cooking breakfast for them. So I made scrambled eggs um, from the chicken's eggs that you saw earlier. We, went, we got a whole bunch of eggs from them. Sharon and them made, it's kind of like roti, but it's uh, puri, they call it. So it's basically deep-fried bread, um, and it puffs up into almost like a roti bread in a way. And we just blessed them by, by making breakfast for, for the families. Um, and then we went down and saw um, the school. So this particular school back in 2015 was severely damaged by the earthquake in Nepal, if anybody can remember, seven years ago. And so one of the investments that we, we, we did was um, investing into the school to help with the construction and putting in uh, rain, uh, water, water tanks, which you think, okay, Nepal is actually very richly resourced in water, but it's not drinkable because a lot of the, all the water gets polluted. So right behind the school, there's a big, big river, but they can't, act, they can't use that water because it's severely polluted. So they invested by putting water tanks on the roof and down below, and they piped 14 kilometers of piping right up to the top of the mountains where there were natural springs, and that's where they're filtering, getting filtered water through um, for the school. And there's close to, I think, 800 kids or whatever they go to that school. So that was um, an amazing little project which we, we were able to, to invest into a few years ago to give the school um, fresh water. Now the beauty of this is that the church that we stayed was up in the hills, and so that's where the water came from. But he ministers to the school, and they've invite, they invite him to special occasions. They invite him to speak to the students, and you know, he shares the gospel with them. He's not allowed to openly evangelize, but he talks to them, you know, we are Christians, this is who we are, this is what we're about. And... and they're very open and warm and welcome to this. So it's showing God's love practically, but then bringing the, the gospel in the other hand. And I think, you know, that's how you, I, this is how these guys are reaching um, the, the lost over there as well. Um, and then this was a, we, we carried on and this was a, a, a well. So these two guys had been digging for three days. They dug about 15 meters down by hand, no drills. Um, they ended up hitting a big rock, so they brought in a little jackhammer and sitting there jackhammering away and trying to get these rocks out. But eventually, you end up with a nice little well like that, which um, was a finished, which is a finished product. But they are currently working on that one at the moment. 
and that well was um, supported by a friend of mine who has a plumbing business in town. And so I thought, I didn't realize that we were actually nearby where that well was. So I saw it, I was like, oh, that's yours, Oscar. So I quickly went and took some photos and a video for him and, and sent it to him. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it was really a joy and a highlight seeing you know, the fruits of your labor. And for myself, I go around the country talking about the work. And when you actually physically see it and you go, it's real, people. It's not make-believe. It's not photoshopped. And it's quite nice and a good experience. Um, and then this is a pastor of this. This is his, his home and his church. So he lives upstairs and around the back, but that's the church. And it's a village of about 300, 300 people. Um, and, you know, he reaches these people by, um, with the gospel. He has, has Sunday services. They have kids in the village that... Um, sponsored and connected. Um, they have different projects. And so, you know, this is how the gospel is starting to thrive. A lot of them acknowledge and accept Jesus, but they don't walk away from their faith. And, and it's a very hard, you can't, it's very hard from our lens to judge that. We shouldn't because we say deny that and accept this. But for them to deny it, to denying their entire heritage, they're denying their family, they're denying. And I know Jesus says to, but it's not easy. And a lot of them will get killed, a lot of them will get ostracized, and if they've got nowhere else to go, um, they, they struggle. So they'll acknowledge and they accept Christ, but they still ritually perform their culture. It's a, it's a real struggle. And, and I don't know the answers, and I don't think we should. That's for them to work out, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and so these are two church workers um, in Nepal, and so we were able to bless a few of the church workers with um, some new transportation modes. So they chose to get bicycles, they didn't want scooters, others got scooters and, and mopeds. And it was an amazing opportunity to connect with these church workers. The lady in the center, she's actually from a Muslim background. She was a Muslim, um, and I, did you hear a testimony, Sharon? I th from my vague memory, I think Christ appeared or something to her. And she converted, and now her mission is to reach Muslim women. And so she does. She goes household to household, and she reaches Muslim women uh, for the gospel. Um, yeah, so it was fantastic to meet these guys and to actually see how they are living their faith. And it's a real encouragement for us here in New Zealand to go, or a challenge, should I say, how are we living our faith? And I think that's going to be um, a sermon for John when he preaches next. How are we living our faith? Okay. Yep. You agree? <laughs> Get writing. Don't, don't pull out an old one. I want a fresh one. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyway, that, that was um, our discovery tour in, in those countries. And the, the questions I challenged the team with, um, and you know, this is, this is, it was a really good challenge, I thought, um, for us that we can think through ourselves, is when you actually sit there and you and you, and you ponder, uh, and I do, I, I, my, my, my beauty is my brain switches off when on long travel. So, that, you know, other than tired, how do you feel in general? And so I, I, I ask questions like, you know, in the past few days, what are some of your highlights? Like, what, and, and you can think about it in your own local context. Like, if you're living here in the community, what, how do you find the people that you meet? How do you observe them? How do you engage with them? Um, does God speak to you? when you do see people. So if you go down to the community, are you asking God, look God, are you speaking to me about these people? How do I engage with them? How do I talk to them? What, what, what have I discovered about the home that I live in? Like, what have I discovered about Omokoroa? And how do I reach my community? What's the culture like in this place? Is it 
the beach, coffee culture, what's it like and how do I engage in that? Um, what is God challenging us on here in our hometown? What have you discovered or seen that God is doing in the places that, that we are visiting or the places that you see or the people that you meet? What is God doing? And as you ask those questions, can I ask you, just yeah, write down your thoughts, reflect on them, and, you know, if you need to or feel inclined to share, you know, we're, we're a body of believers. Share with each other and go, you live here. This is your home. This is your mission. This is your field. Share with each other and go, this is what I'm observing. What do you observe? And how do we reach our neighbors? And how do we reach our neighbors for the gospel here in Omokoroa? So thanks for uh, hearing my stories this morning. Sorry, it was a little bit of a different service. And, um, yeah, I'll bring, a, I'll bring a meaty message next time, hey? <laughs> That's <laughs> so, God bless.